Amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, this morning we have two points, faith and fellowship. Faith and fellowship, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So under point one, beginning in verse eight, being in Rome was a very, very difficult place to live for the Christian. Yet on the other side of the coin, it was a very great place to live for the Christian because it was the epicenter of the known world. Now, some of us come from all different backgrounds. Some of us come from back, you know, bad areas and good areas and somewhere in between. Some of us were on the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks. And depending on where you live, the pressures and the difficulties and the challenges are different. You know, for those that might live in Irvine, it's way different from those that might live in the city of Watts. You know, as Jose did that outreach last night, it went really, really well uh, for their community. But the challenges are different. And you live in a wicked city, in a, in a city where evil is practiced and evil is promoted and evil is legislated. And, and, and you find yourself surrounded by people that just don't think the way you think. They don't live the way you live. And it can be very difficult as a Christian because the world would say conform. You conform to us. When it used to be the church caused radical change in the world, the world, unfortunately, is causing radical change inside the church, and that has to be addressed, and that has to be dealt with. And so Paul says, your faith is known throughout the whole world. This is an amazing statement to make because they were in a terribly wicked and debased society. Being a Christian in Rome was one of the most difficult things that you could ever do because there was rampant sex and power that were, people were striving for. There was all kinds of evil and politics and these things that were happening with slavery and homosexuality and bisexuality and multiple partners and living lasciviousness, uh, lascivious lifestyles. And, and, and all of these things were normal and they were part of of the worship practices and how they worship their false gods. And for a Christian to live in that society with a modesty and immorality, it was a very, very difficult place to be. Yet it was the place from which everything went out from. He says, you're known. Your faith is spoken of throughout the entire world. And I think we have to honestly ask ourselves this question. Like, ask yourself this question rhetorically in your mind. What are you known for? What am I known for? These people were known for their faith. What is spoken of us as Christians and our church? What is Vision City Church known for? What are the Christians that attend this church known for? The Roman Christians had every opportunity, plus some to be carnal Christians due to the fact that their city was tremendously wicked. A carnal Christian would mean a worldly Christian, and obviously that sounds oxymoronic, where we think, how can you be a worldly Christian? Well, they had every opportunity to be a Christian who was watered down, who was compromising in their faith, and who was as close to the world as you could possibly get. Paul said that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
They lived in a society with the multiplicity of gods and even Caesar himself believing that he was a a god, a, a divine being. Their faith in the one and only true and living God has been heard of throughout the whole world. What's your environment that you're in? Who are the people that you're associating with? What's your job like? What is your family circle life? Your friend circle life? Who are the people that are influencing you? Who are the people that are around you that know you? We have to ask ourselves, what are we known for? I remember when I was younger and in school, high school, I left a Christian high school and went to a public high school. Man, how different it was. Where the majority of people in the public school, they weren't Christians. They weren't Christians. And they didn't go to church. Man, they were partying and drinking and using drugs and fighting and hooking up and all just the normal stuff. It was just the normal stuff that the world does. But when they heard that my brother Torn and I were Christians and they saw our lives on and off the basketball court and even how we backed it up by the way we lived, we were able to use that position in athletics to share the gospel with our high school, Ocean View High School in Huntington Beach. Maybe you've heard of it. But it was different. Because in Christian schools, you were the cool person if you weren't Christian. You were the rebel cool group if you didn't do the Christian things and rebelled against what the school stood for. But the weird thing was is that when we went to a public school, that people actually respected us because we actually believed in something. We actually stood for something. And so when we ran out of the tunnel each night, there for every game, and even as we played at what is now the Honda Center over there in Anaheim, as we won the CIF championship, we ran out with scriptures on our back. You know, my brother said Romans 8.28. Mine said Philippians 4.13. We were able to use that as a platform to tell people about Jesus. It was on our warm-ups. You know, back when they had the, you know, the breakaway snaps. You know, it was like, Fresh, you know, like those kind of things. It was, it was what people saw first when we came running out. But the point is, is that people knew what we were about. They knew that we were followers of Jesus. We weren't Christians incognito. Quite frankly, we were pretty bold about what we believed. But there was an interesting respect there. They might not agree with it. They might be even against it. But they were like, we respect you because you actually believe in something. So what are we about? What are we about as Christians? What are we known for? Character, ethics, our vocabulary, our disposition, our attitude, self-centered, giving, loving, deceitful, faithful, kind, integrity. What are we known for? Think about that. Because we're representing something more than just ourselves. If we say we're a Christian, we're not only representing the body of Christ, we are representing Jesus himself. As a Christian, as a member of this church, we want to be known for, even as the church was known for in Roma, was their faith. Their faith. The night before our first Sunday here this year, it was probably 10 o'clock at night, and I, I was under what I felt was a major spiritual attack and getting ready for our first Sunday of 2015. And I found myself out at the Great Park in Irvine. 
in the middle. It was all dark, and, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, I pray that you please show us what you want us to do. Please, Lord, you build your church. You take care of all the needs, Lord. We want to be something that glorifies you. And I remember I got out of my car, and it was pitch black, except you could see by the light of the moon. And I stood on that dirt, and I just said, Lord, I pray that if you've given us this city to be able to proclaim your gospel from, and I just said it out loud, and then I was like, Lord. And obviously, you know, people would have thought I was crazy, but it was completely empty. I just said, Lord, may a shout go out from this place proclaiming your name that is heard all around the world. Lord, may that be what this church is all about. Proclaiming the name of Jesus, Lord. And stood on that ground. Stood on that dirt. And prayed, Lord, please help us. Lord, please provide for us. And Paul said that their faith was known of around the world. Interestingly enough, he didn't mention anything other than their faith. Your guys' rock climbing wall is known around the world. Your guys' programs are known around the world. He says, your faith is known around the world. Christians that have faith move in faith. Christians that have faith move in faith, exercise that faith. As it's been said, and I quote, faith is a very simple thing. It is believing God's word and acting upon it. End of quote, Donald Barnhouse. Believing God's word and acting upon it. Because if I'm all talk and I'm no action, then we know that there is a big inconsistent problem right there. Oh man, I want to be used by the Lord and I want to serve and I want to get involved and blah, 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 or whatever. But you don't ever do one single thing. All talk, no action. We want to be men and women that actually take steps of faith. Do things that are outside our comfort zone. Are challenged. And you feel like, man, this is beyond me. That's good. That's where faith kicks in. That means you're being stretched. That means you're growing. You are maturing. No matter what it is. Lord, this is hard. Well, do I just quit because it's hard or do I push through? Do I move forward? Do I do those things that I don't feel like doing because I know that it's the right thing to do? Do I do those things that I feel like I just want to quit and be done with and I do it because I'm not a quitter? Because God's called me to fulfill this mission and I want to be a part of it. What are we doing? We have to ask ourselves that because there's sometimes we just don't feel like it. Isn't that true? I don't feel like doing this today. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like sharing the gospel. I don't feel like being nice to them. I don't feel like being loving. Quite frankly, I've had it. I don't want to do this anymore. We all feel that way. We all deal with discouragement. But you need to be able to be in a place where you don't get destroyed by that and controlled by that. Because it is going to come. It's not a, not a matter of if it will come. It's a matter of when will it come. It's inevitable that every single person that says, I want to follow Jesus, will be hit head on with roadblocks and discouragement from Satan. But you will also, the person that says, I've decided to follow Jesus, you will be presented with opportunities to take a leap of faith. Some of us might just need like a scooch of faith, like, you know, like that. Like, we'll get to a step one day and then, a, you know, a jump the next day. But, you know, some of us are like, um, you know, how about like a lean of faith, you know, or something like that. 
we will all be presented with an opportunity to grow. We'll all be presented with an opportunity to step out. We'll all be presented with an opportunity to be involved and to contribute and to be a part of the bigger picture where we ignore our personal problems. We ignore our own issues because we're too busy helping other people and doing what God's called us to do because we already know that God will get our backs and he'll take care of all the things that we need because he knows the things we need before we even are aware of those things. But are we in line with what the Lord's calling us to do? Are we doing or are we just talking? In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If I could paraphrase this, I wrote it out like this. When you see my faith, you see the invisible at work. Faith is the foundation of things I hope for, for I have no hope apart from faith. The world is heading towards a one-world religion. I don't know if you've noticed this. Things that, are, things that are happening in our churches, that are the non-denominational churches, Christian churches across the country, we see the, the splitting, you know, of the Methodist church and the Presbyterian churches and their view on homosexuality and how people won't stand for anything. We hear the things that the Pope is saying and the Catholic church. But our world is heading towards a one world religion that will be directed by the Antichrist. That's where we're going. There's an ecumenical movement where you need to rub off all the sharp edges of every world religion so that they might become one blob of a religion. One amorphous blob of world religions all just molded together like a little ball of Play-Doh. Nothing. Nothing will work that actually has principles or says this is the only way or this is what we believe. So stop believing those things that are so radical and that are so hardcore and just embrace all roads lead to the kingdom. Everybody. We don't need to convert Buddhists to become Christians or Muslims to become Christians because God receives everybody. And this is where our world is headed And the world is putting a lot of pressure upon the Christian church to conform to its standards and its conviction. We have a lot of popular churches even today. You can see them on TV. You probably read about them and watch them on the news a lot that won't make a stand on controversial topics. And I feel that we're headed down a path in our world right now and even the churches in our country where the end result is that we believe in nothing. We believe in nothing. We don't stand for anything because anything goes. Let's just love, love, love. What a perversion of what love is. Love speaks the truth. Love addresses difficult topics. Love deals with the things that are uncomfortable because I'm actually more concerned with their well-being than my comfortability. But people want to go to church where they hear stuff that they want to hear. 
They don't want anybody to stand for anything or say something that might mean that they have to make a decision about something. Because I just want to be neutral, right in the middle. But we, but we don't realize that when you don't decide, when you choose to be neutral, to not decide is to decide. Because you are either in or you're out. But people are like, oh, no, 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 no. I like it right in the middle here, right where it's comfortable because I don't want to go too far this way. And then they might be offended. And if I go too far this way, they might be offended. And then I'm so worried about what other people might be feeling that I ignore my responsibility and my relationship with God and what it says in his word. This is where the world is heading. And so we need to be known for our faith in Jesus Christ, uncompromisingly believing in what the word of God says and applying it to our lives. Because where we're going and where the world is headed is don't believe, don't have faith, and just kind of get along. We're going to be the epitome of the coexist sticker on the back of cars. Because we're going to take what everybody believes that's divisive and we're going to remove it. And unfortunately for Christianity, if you remove that which is divisive from it, you're removing Jesus Christ. You remove Jesus Christ from Christianity. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but come to bring a sword. And some of us are like, what? Where does it say that? What is he saying? He's saying that he draws the line of distinction between those that are righteous and those that are unrighteous. And it is through Jesus Christ that we have access to the Father. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one gets to the Father but through me. So in order for the one world religion to take place, it's going to mean you remove what Jesus says and who Jesus is. And you can call yourself a Christian. You can be a Judeo-Christian. You can go to a Christian church and have nothing to do with Jesus or his word. I don't know who said this, but I think it's apropos. It says, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm and dare to make it known. End of quote. What? You have a principle? (gasps) You believe in something? What's your problem? Man, have a purpose and make it known. That's one of the most controversial things that you can do in our United States today is you believe in something that means, oh my goodness, That means that people actually might be doing the wrong thing? That there might be sin in the world? Oh my goodness, this is is just unbelievable. This is the world that we live in. But honestly, I don't think it was too much different than Rome at the time that Paul was writing. Wickedness abounds. People that are saying that evil is good and good is evil. And there's no moral absolutes. There's no moral norms. It's whatever works for you is fine for you. Verse 9, for God is my witness, Romans 1, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, verse 10, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. In verse 9, it says, I serve with my spirit. In the gospel of his son. And this is important to note because some people go through the motions of Christianity but are not regenerated or what Jesus would have called born again. 
I can do all of these good things. And I think this is where, you know, we get a works or social-based gospel that has infiltrated into the church where people will replace a personal relationship with Jesus being born again spiritually with humanitarian work. I do these good things and I go with my quote-unquote church group to go build these irrigation systems so these farmers in this third world country can grow their vegetables and their crops and have food. You know, I build roofs over people's heads and I do all of these things. And I'm serving God and I'm doing these great deals, but they're not made alive spiritually because we have churches today that will teach people that you need to just do these things. Don't talk about repentance. Don't talk about turning from your sin. Don't talk about Jesus' death on the cross and that there's only way to get to one way to get to heaven. Just be involved and be a good person and get involved with the church and so on and so forth. And we don't see people serving with the Spirit. It's an outward type of thing. And don't get me wrong. If there were more people doing good deeds around this world, this world would be a better place. And, 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 and doing these mission-type works are great. We support those things. But we use those mission-type works for a platform to tell people about Jesus and to share the love of Jesus with them. Because somebody can die in their sins with a roof over their head or with a full tummy because they were able to grow their own crops. He says, I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. And without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. What I like about this is that he calls God as his witness to his prayer life. He says, God's my witness. In Matthew 6, verse 6, Jesus said, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut, the, shut your door, pray to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. Like, that's really good. You know, God's my witness. I've been praying. The Lord's the one that sees me. It may not be everybody else because I'm not going out there and praying in public in front of people, even though there's a place for public prayer and we practice it here at church. But the personal time of prayer is not one that brings attention to you, but rather connects you and makes you attentive to the Lord. So he calls on the Lord as his witness that I'm praying for you and I'm hoping to see you. And so point number one is faith, which leads us now to verse 11 and point number two, which is fellowship. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Now, Paul, I don't know if you guys have gotten this from our study through Acts, and then even as as we're going through Romans, he had a sincere love for the Christians in the churches. And when he heard of the Roman Christians, he desired to impart to them the great truth that he had received. He wanted to give something to the church in Rome that would establish them in their faith. In their faith. He wanted to see them grow and be strong. Even as that's my desire for you guys to grow and to be strong, established in your faith. See, when we establish our lives upon the word of God, we'll find strength and we find encouragement. Oh, too often churches are being established upon the opinions of man or the precepts of pop culture. That's just the reality. The opinions of man or the precepts of pop culture. And we're going to build a church model based upon what the world does. 
See, the only constant in the world is there is no constants. Fads change. Music changes. Fashion changes. Tech changes. Opinion changes. And the world truth changes. Morals change. And at that point, you have no bearings. You never know where you actually stand. You can never be certain of anything consistent. And it's a terrible place to be. And this is how people's houses come crashing down on their heads. They have no moral absolutes. They have nothing by which to gauge their standing. And in Matthew 7, 26 and 27, Jesus said this, but everyone who hears the sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What a terrible picture. How sad that is. But we see it in the people's lives around us. Maybe even you're here today, having lived your life not based upon what the Word of God says, and your house has fallen like a house of cards. It just topples over, and you'll build it up again, and then it topples over again. And any society that hears God's Word and what it says and does not do it is like the foolish person who builds his house upon the sand. Because the rains will come. I'm not just speaking literally. We're talking about the storms of life. The floods will come up. The winds will blow and beat on your house. And it will fall. And great was society's fall. And if you look at the depravity throughout history. I don't know if you study ancient history or you're a history buff. And you just look at the progression of societies throughout history. Even how the nation of Israel, as Moses led the people out of Egypt, how they came in and conquered the land of Canaan was because these people were debased. Worshipping false gods, offering their children unto false gods as they lay their newborn babies on the searing, hot, iron hands of their false gods. We're talking about the judgment of God came in and smote these nations and the nation of Israel was used as the tool for God's judgment. Great was society's fall. You look at the, 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 the Greek culture. You look at the Roman culture. You look at how debased it was and how it fell. And we're not too far behind with the things that are practiced as being outstanding and as normal are things that are absolutely evil and are against God. It's the word of God that can establish the Christian and give him strength to overcome the old forces, and to live the new life. The old forces, who we were before we came to know the Lord. To overcome those things, we're established through the Word of God. See, there are various aspects of Christian life and worship, but none of them will build the believer in strength and vitality apart from the study of God's Word. For those of you that you know, understand the, the science of diet and etc., just think of it as this. The Word of God is the protein for your spiritual life. It's one of the, the key components of how your body is able to have strength. The Word of God is the protein. Without it, you become extremely weak and cannot get stronger. I forget who was the person that came up with the saying, but they said, you know, seven days without reading the Bible makes one weak. Makes you weak spiritually. We lose our strength. Some Christians today, they do not want to hear what the Bible says, but they rather hear what they want to be said. 
I would like the pastor to speak on these kind of things. And if he doesn't, then I'm leaving. Because when I come to church, I don't want to hear about everything. I just want to hear about those certain things. I don't want anything that might ruffle my feathers. I don't want anything that might challenge me. I'm coming here to church to be served. That's why it's called a church service, right? So come in. I'm going to come in and I expect to be served. We're here to serve the Lord. and We're not here for anybody else. We're here to glorify the name of the Lord and to glorify Him through worship, to glorify Him through the study of His Word. For the time will come, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, where it says, They will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, people, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. People rather believe the lie because it sounds nicer. It's called ignoramus. In verse 12, it says, That is, that I may be encouraged with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. In Proverbs 27, 17, some of you have memorized this, but it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. What an encouraging thing it is when you're around people, around others that are walking with the Lord. Because you know how discouraging it can be when you're around your old friends or you're in that job environment where people just are not walking with God. And how it's like you just feel like, man, I got to go home and take like a bath, you know, after my work day because I'm just so, so just dumped on all day long. Man, it's so encouraging when you're actually with other people that are walking with the Lord and you have this mutual benefit that takes place. I get encouraged when I see you guys walking with the Lord. When I see you guys doing what you're supposed to be doing, it encourages me. And the same applies for you guys where you see each other. Man, you're doing the right thing, and I'm trying to do the right thing, and that's encouraging to me because if you can do it, I can do it. And, and we can do this together. We'll pray about it, and we'll help each other, and so on and so forth. Paul's saying, you know, we'll have this mutual benef- benefit of encouraging one another in our relationship to the Lord. See, we cannot minister to others without being ministered to ourselves. And there is a mutual benefit that comes from fellowshipping with other Christians. See, when we as Christians are surrounding ourselves with those that are not following Jesus, there is no mutual benefit. None whatsoever. In verse 13, he says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, verse 14, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. A commentator by the name of Newell, he said this, and I quote, Paul was eager to march with Christ alone to the center of this world's greatness entrenched under Satan with the word of the cross, end of quote. I want to go to the most evil, vile place, and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm ready for that. Paul was actually in Corinth as he was writing this letter, as he was on his way to Jerusalem. And you guys remember back in Acts 19, verse 21, Paul said, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Paul had a desire to see Rome, but kind of a really cool, interesting side note. Little did he know at the time that he would get there at the expense of the Roman government. 
In Acts 23, verse 11, remember, Jesus appeared to Paul as he stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So Rome found a ship for Paul to travel on. They even provided an armed escort for him to get there safely. Isn't that interesting? I have a desire to go to Rome. And it was on Rome's dime that Paul would get there. But he came as God's ambassador in chains. But he was ready. Charles Spurgeon wondered if that phrase, I am ready, was actually Paul's motto. And this is where we'll finish up this morning. In Romans 1.15, which we just read, Paul was ready to preach and to serve. In Acts 21.13, Paul was, it says he was ready to suffer. In 2 Corinthians 10.6, it says Paul was ready to address difficult issues. And finally, Paul was ready to die. That was just like his motto. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. So this morning, I encourage you as we conclude now, be ready for what the Lord's calling you to do. Some of you might think, well, I don't know if I can do this. Well, yes, you can, because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Some of you, I would say, forget some of you, all of us, myself included, are called to do things that are outside our comfort zone. But sometimes we just want to sit down and do nothing. Sometimes we just rather have other people do it. We don't want to take the step of faith. We don't want to get up early. We don't want to stay late. We don't want to do this because, you know what, I'm doing other things. I work hard, and you know what, that's great, and we do that unto the Lord. But what are we doing that's going to last, and what are we doing that has eternal significance, and are we known as a church as a church of faith? Are we known for a church, as a church that, that believes in what God's Word says and then acts upon it? So I challenge you, even as I've been challenged from this passage of Scripture myself, and you need to know this personally from me, that there is not one thing that is spoken from this pulpit, from this stage, that hasn't first been spoken to me. And that I need to hear these things. And I apply these things. Because the Lord challenges me as I study through His Word to be able to communicate, hopefully, something from which I've received out of this text this morning. And I'm excited to see the Lord give us opportunities to take steps of faith. And I'm excited knowing that He is going to meet us exactly where we're at. And so, don't be afraid. Depending on from which part of the country you're from, don't be scared. Okay? Like, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Step out. See the Lord move. Behold the salvation of the Lord. Let's be that group, that church that is known, man. They take steps of faith. And wow, does the Lord ever meet them? Last Christmas, our tiny little church puts on this Christmas event. All these people show up, and there were people that were saying, you guys are a tiny church. You guys can't do that. What are you guys thinking were the exact words that were communicated. What are you guys thinking? No one's going to come to this thing. You guys have like a small little church. For those of you that didn't see what happened, there were like a few thousand people that showed up out here. You know, and there were Muslims and they were, they, were, they were making Christmas, you know, nativity sets in the crafts with their families. You know, Buddhists were hearing that you can't earn your way to heaven. You know, it was crazy. Hindus were hearing that it was only one God, and that's the one that sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So I just feel like we're going to be challenged to take steps of faith in your personal life, in your family life, and get involved in the church life because this is a living organism, the body of Christ. It is bigger than you and it's bigger than me, but we get, a, get the privilege to be a part of it. 
So ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm ready. Get me in the game, coach. Put me in. You say, I've been waiting for you to say that. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's make a difference. Let's make a change. Because I don't think any of us want to live the rest of our lives doing nothing and then get to our deathbed and say, I wish I would have done more things for the Lord. That's a big regret of mine. We have the chance to change that right now. So let's pray.